This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, now spotting the signs of parental burnout and turning the situation around. It's a pleasure to welcome back to Nine to Noon psychologist Saab Johal. And Saab, we hear about workplace burnout a lot. How similar is parental burnout? Sure, Catherine. Um, I'll take you back to 1997. <clears throat> One of my first big jobs was managing a big study on the scale of occupational stress. And the reason why this was groundbreaking at the time is because up until that point, it was thought of as malingering. It really wasn't identified as something that we should be concerned about. Employers were kind of questioning as to the validity as to the what this was, whether it was a thing or not. And people were really struggling uh, with getting any kind of assistance with that. And I think that we're possibly at a similar state with parental burnout as well. You know, people have started to try and have this conversation in the 70s and 80s, but I don't think that we were ready to have that conversation. And I think that now we're starting to recognise in the last two or three years that actually parenting... It's not something that you just need to kind of like harden up about. It's not something that is necessarily going to be a bed of roses. But at the same time, it is difficult and there are consequences if you're not there and present and able to respond in a compassionate, caring way to your child's needs. Then there are consequences of that. What are the, the signs of it? When, and when we, we, we're thinking again, as you've likened to the workplace, we're thinking of something that's above um, what you will experience and the, the, the highs and lows and experiencing of fatigue or exhaustion or stress or, or, or all of those feelings. We're talking about something that's at a higher level. What are the signs? Yeah, and it's important to remember that it's a process as well. It's not just something that happens overnight. Um, and we know what we know now because of a couple of big longitudinal studies that were done over a period of time. And people were actually quite shocked as to the answers that they were getting. People were actually being very honest in their responses. And they seem to fall into four different things that indicate that burnout might be a thing for you. The first one is this idea of overwhelming exhaustion, this idea that you feel drained, merely thinking about what it is that you need to do for your children. You've got zero energy and actually waking up in the morning and getting up and getting on with things is a thing. The second one is this idea of being emotionally detached from your children. And that's as a consequence of the exhaustion. Parents pulling back from managing their children's day-to-day well-being and even their education. They can't even, perhaps sometimes, have they have trouble showing that they're showing their children that they actually love them and care about them. The third one to be concerned about is this idea of loss of productivity and pleasure in the parenting role. So you can't perform your usual parenting tasks as well as you were able to. And often there is this kind of like feeling or wish of escape or avoidance. I really don't want to be a parent anymore or somehow wish that my parenting was far less burdensome than I'm experiencing it to be. And then the last sign is that there is a, there is a distinct change in behavior. There is a contrast like I never used to feel like this and now I'm feeling like this. If you're always like this, then there's possibly something else going on for you. But if you weren't feeling like this and now suddenly you are, then it's an indication that it's the parenting and that's what's causing your experience of burnout. All right. Is there a crossover? You mentioned something else might be going on for you. Is there a crossover with other things? For example, postnatal depression, which may be diagnosed or undiagnosed. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always a possibility that you need to be 
bearing in mind when you're looking at something like this. If this has been ongoing right from the very start for you, then possibly there's something else that's going on. Or if it's, there's some kind of precipitating factor, you know, perhaps there's a something going on in the family that means that you're not coping, you don't have the capacity that you used to have. So yes, you need to think about these things as well. But often it's this idealization of what it is that we are supposed to experience as a parent. And then the reality often, very often, falls far short of that. And the problem is that we are presented with these idealized pictures of what parenting should be like. And then we're pushed to constantly meet these marks and constantly be doing these things that we're supposed to be doing. And that can be exhausting for people and can, people can feel like they're always failing. So really understanding what it is to be a parent, the important things that you can choose to do and really being very careful about whose ideals that you're living up to. Are they yours or are they ideals that you're kind of like implicitly being told that this is what a big good parent looks like? Can we make comparisons with workplace burnout symptoms? Because again, everybody is going to experience some of these symptoms, some of the time, all of them, some of the time, some of them, a lot of the time. But when they are combined in this way or when there is like this cumulative um, change, is that comparable to what happens with workplace burnout? Yeah. So let's think about workplace burnout. You can see in contrast the similarities and the differences. One is that you feel worn out by work. So it's a persistent feeling of exhaustion again, not just a passing feeling a couple of times a week. Um, the second one is that, again, you no longer feel effective at work. So there's this kind of like effectiveness as a parent, effectiveness at work. It's, it's kind of you don't have this feeling of mastery anymore, whereas perhaps you had that before. And then the third one is then you don't like your job. It's something that you actually quite liked beforehand, but now you're actually not so turned on by what it is that you're doing in your job. And again, similarly with being a parent. And it's important to understand that actually you can be perfectly well functioning in either of those. So you could be having like a great time at work, being really, really good. But when you come home, you feel actually quite emotionally detached and find being a parent very difficult. And similarly, the other way around, you can actually be having a really, really good time with your children, but then actually being at work becomes very, very difficult to you. And if we're not careful, that actually they can cross infect each other. And so one of the things that has been has come out in the research that is that for those parents who have workplaces that are inflexible, they're at higher risk mm. of parental burnout because they don't have so much wiggle room. They're coming home and they don't really feel like they've got the capacity, capacity to be the parent that they would like to be. Who's most at risk? I just mentioned it. If you've got you know, an inflexible workplace and therefore you can't manage your parenting responsibilities as well as someone who's got a bit more flex, who else is at risk? Yeah. Well, the research that we know so far is that it's definitely women who are more at risk. Uh, and it's women who perhaps work part-time uh, are quite at risk because they have uh, the the burden of being at work and also carrying on the parenting role, yet perhaps not the full-time benefits of having a bit more time off of either of those roles. So that's a bit of a risk for them. There's also, um, interestingly, uh, a risk for more highly educated parents um, because uh, they feel a pressure to deliver at a higher level, perhaps, for their children. So they have to have the latest kind of 
thing for their child or they need to involve their child in three or four extracurricular activities. They have to have a complex meal on the table. These are the sorts of things that they tend to identify as their markers of being a good parent. So actually, because they're setting a higher bar, an unrealistically high bar, they're more likely to fall short of it. So who's going to spot the symptoms and when they're spotted, what do you recommend happens? Just before I go on to that, I'll just talk about one other group that really do struggle as well. Right. And this is um, perhaps parents whose children are not neurotypical. You know, so you've got a child who actually, um, you know, doing homework means that that child is actually trying to erase every letter because it's not perfect and they want to make it right. And then you've also got a child who can't stick to a task for more than three minutes or you've got lots of siblings who are then you're trying to manage at the same time as that. And then add into that, you've got an extracurricular activity and you've got maybe your boss asking for you to do some more work at home. Now, for other people, that could be a bad day. For you, it's called Wednesday. Every day is like this for you. And the problem is, is that it's particularly severe when you're trying to explain this to everyone all the time as well. So the load there is very difficult and very high. So yes, people who are parenting atypically neurodiverse children do have it a bit more difficult than everybody else. If we're thinking about what it is that we can do and how it is that we can spot this, I think the really interesting thing is that contrast. It's I when wasn't something like changes. This, when something changes, I didn't feel like this and now I'm feeling like this is a little bit of a signal that the process is happening and it's got to a point where you're starting to notice it. And it's also important to get feedback as well because often when we're feeling stressed and burned out, we don't have a very good radar about mm. our own behaviour. Exactly. Yeah, so we need other people to perhaps feel safe to kind of put their hands up and say, I'm just noticing that things perhaps are a little bit difficult for you. Um, Can I help? Or being mindful about how it is that you ask for help too. You know, one of the things that um, we need to be careful about when we're parenting is that often we can uh, want things to be done, but we don't ask for them. They're kind of unsaid, implicit asks for help. Uh, And then we can get a little bit snippy when that help doesn't appear. And so being really quite mindful and thinking about, well, how is it that I can get help either from my partner if they're around or from other parents or wherever it is that you can get help? Now, one of the reasons I think I started off by talking about occupational stress here is that as a result of that work that was done in 97 and onwards, legislation was passed to protect people from strains in the workplace. We can't do that with parenting. There's no legislation that can be passed to say, well, actually, this child is breaking the law because they're putting too much strain on this on this parent. We need to have consequences. No, that's not going to happen. But what we do do is that we put care for those parents who are really, really struggling and when things have really gone wrong. And I'm wondering whether it's time for us to start having conversations around parenting further and offering help further upstream so that we can think about, well, what's the model of parenting that we want to kind of buy into and having almost like coaching going along as we're going along with that parenting on a group level with other peers, with other parents involved too. This doesn't necessarily need to be a professional thing. It's almost like, well, I was saying Plunkett, but actually it's a slightly different model that you're talking about. It would be different professionals or different opportunities, but ones that come 
after you've got through those early stages. Can we just roll back? You, you mentioned that people, often when you are overwhelmed, that's the last point at which you can self-diagnose because yep. you don't even have the energy to do that. The other risk is, of course, that people can feel shame. Like Absolutely. Shame that I'm not coping the way I thought I would be coping or I'm not coping the way everyone else appears to be coping, even yep. though they're probably not. And what's the sort of self-talk you can have to head something like this off at the pass? Um, again, we you say you may, you may be snippy with yourself. You may be snippy with the situation. And there's not a lot of processing possible in the place that you're in. Yeah. You know, that, that negative automatic thought that keeps coming up, I'm failing again, I've done this again, I'm not being a good parent, all that, that stuff. That feeling of being stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't <clears throat> change this situation. So, yeah, one of the things that we need to do is to be able to take a little bit of a step back, and you may need assistance with that, but recognising your choices. Recognising that actually when you see images or you have ideas in your head as to what is a good parent, that perhaps actually other people's lives um, maybe aren't a good match for yours, and perhaps they're not accurate, or perhaps they're not sustainable. So when you find yourself stuck in a car uh, trying to get to this thing, that's the second thing that your child is doing after school, Ask yourself as to whether you actually need to be doing that and starting to take a little bit of an audit as to how it is that you actually spend your time. And this is something actually that I think is a really good thing to do is actually breaking, taking a step back and breaking down over a week. Are you trying to do massively complex meals or are you just trying to get food on the table? Are you trying to do lots and lots of extracurricular activities with one, two, three children, and then finding that you're actually buzzing around but not able to spend too much time with your child. And I think the more that we start to prioritise connection rather than outcome. So, yes, you want your child to be able to play soccer to a certain level or you want them to be able to kind of have whatever it is that they want to be able to doing. Spending time with your child whilst they're doing that and actually being in the moment with them, being present with them, and, and using that time to actually connect with your child seems to be a really, really good way and is protective of that kind of burnout. So rather than dropping them off, it sounds counterintuitive, rather than dropping them off and racing off to do the shopping, stay and be involved. Even though you've got one less task done, actually it's protective to be involved. Because you're getting the reward, aren't you? You're yeah. getting the reward of the opportunity that you're giving your child. And maybe even taking it one step further back and saying, do you actually need to be doing yeah. that this term or whatever it is well, that you're that, doing? That's another thing. It, it's another important thing, like not to feel like a failure when you take things out of the out of the equation and feel like, well, then, you know, Johnny or Sarah won't have nine extracurricular activities, we'll only have seven. You just said the most important thing. The most important thing that child needs isn't to be in a soccer academy it is their connection and their relationship and their confidence and their trust with their parent, right? Absolutely. And it may be that from that soccer academy, what they're actually getting from that is connection with other children, connection with their coaches, connection with their peers. So one of the things that we need to do is to actually, are we facilitating that connection? And one of the things, I think this is really interesting to me in terms of thinking about the models that we set for our children. By setting two, three, four extracurricular activities per week, are we actually storing up a model of exhaustion and then burnout for our children too? They get used to being overscheduled. So we call it performance orientation or something, isn't it? Some people talk about like 
that life's always about a performance 24-7. Yeah, yeah, and we're only valued for mm. how well and what outcomes mm. we produce in that performance. I am interested, though, in those who have these feelings where you can't point to an overscheduled life. And you've made some interesting points about the gap between expectation and reality. But even if you thought you were realistic about it, again, if you find yourself slipping into this, just because a lot's been going on, right, Mm -hmm. what's your way, again, out of it? Is it, it, again, just giving yourself permission to feel this way and not feel like a failure, but also to, to reach out and to talk or to find a way to have a conversation, open up a conversation without feeling like a failure or feeling shame about it. Yes, I think so. Uh, and the way I think about this is almost thinking about as your your parenting as you being a power bank. Okay, so your child plugs into you and you supply the power to make sure that they can get through the day, they feel replenished. But that all, the, all that time it's draining your battery. It's the same with the work thing. Yeah, Everyone absolutely. goes to work with a limited amount of emotional and mental and physical energy. Yeah. You can't you have to manage that. Yeah. So, so where, do you, where do you get your charging from? Mm. Where do you plug yourself in? And I think that it's important to recognise that self-care in this, in this context is actually childcare. Looking after mm-hmm. yourself enables you to look after your children in the way that you want to. So splitting up your cells within your power bank is also useful to do. So thinking about what's your cuddle bank like at the moment? Do you need replenishment from your cuddle bank from your children? And then you can replenish each other together. What's your play bank like at the moment? Yeah, we're all kind of like outcomes and achievement focused, but what's your play bank like at the moment? Are you being playful enough with your child? What's your nurturing food bank like? As well as providing for your child, are you getting enough yourself? Engaging in interesting pursuits. I'm not saying cut out all extracurricular activities, but have enough that it's entertaining and interesting mm. for everyone. And not a schedule, a relentless Absolutely. schedule. So the other bank is unscheduled time, mm. making sure that you have enough unstructured time where you, necessarily, you, you can enter into your child's world. And if they come up with problems, it's not necessary for you to solve them there and then. Just be with them and understand it from their point of view. And then that's a big step towards that connection. And of course, the other one, the other big one is your sleep bank. You know, a lot of this falls over when you don't get enough sleep. And so thinking about how it is that you can get more of that, if that's something that you identify is a problem for you. For people who think, okay, that's well and good, tried that, done that, uh, and it's persistent, what's your advice? Persistence in what sense? Your symptoms are persistent and you're worried. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, no, then I think it's probably good to seek advice. And this is where I think actually we need this kind of care stepping upstream a little bit more. Plunkett is all well and good. It's Mm. great. I love Plunkett. It stops. And there's not a lot left out there available for you unless you're able to step forward. The great thing about Plunkett is that it's kind of scheduled, it's expected, they'll, ha- they'll harass you for appointments if you're late or if they haven't seen you for a while. I think we need something a little bit more forward-stepping, stepping a little bit more into the parent space and checking in. Are you okay? Is there something I can help you with here? And I think that actually if we start constructing our world, our society and our expectations of support for parents, I think that then this could be a little bit of a game changer. Your peer group matters too. We talked about your children's peer groups. We talked about your children's needs. But again, having a peer group, whether it is family or friends, where it is about being able to be honest about how you're feeling, Mm. being able to be honest about your doubts, rather than I have to keep up with these people. Mm -hmm. And that's something else you might want to 
change out, quite frankly. And I, and I know a lot of these relationships, especially with women, can begin very early on from, um, you know, antenatal groups together or play groups together or whatever. But the quality of the membership of your team is pretty important, right? It is. And we all, have a, we all feel the pressure to present good, to show people our best face. And to actually show people that actually sometimes we struggle or, you know, we have food all over us or or whatever it is that's going on for us at that particular moment moment in time can be really difficult and challenging. So making sure that you do have a group of people with you who who can be honest, can be nurturing for you as well, and not necessarily just trying to present their best face at all times. Of course, we all do that and we want to do that at times, but it's not the reality. What does the research say about men's experience of this? You said women were probably in a higher risk group um, and they may have that the men may feel similar experiences particularly if they're a primary carer but they may also have a different set of experiences if they are less day to day the person doing the running around but nonetheless are emotionally overwhelmed by what they now find themselves in is there, is there much on that? No there isn't and there's a little bit there you know we have the conversation we ha- we have research around the gender gap in terms of the the parental mm. load and what's going on and how that's split so we know a little bit about that and we know a little bit around the experience of postnatal depression for men as well not just through supporting partners but also through their own experience mm. of what is fatherhood look like and their expectations of that and then how the experience of fatherhood actually is for them we don't really know a lot more a lot about this we know that women seem to be particularly at risk but i think we're still at the early stages here around how parental burnout affects men and their role as fathers mm, and it's may possibly let me speculate not always be as obvious in the form of some kind of apparent you know um, almost breakdown say in 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 how you're functioning day to day but it may be these things like the emotional detachment the loss of the pleasure in parenting they may be it may be less have screaming red lights above it mm. but nonetheless is robbing someone one of the things i'd probably be quite interested in is how much men retreat into work as their respite away from that but then also how that then starts to impact upon their relationship with the partner at home, as well as the emotional detachment from the child. And I think that that's a a complex dyad. I wouldn't be surprised if that is a way that it it tends to affect men or women who who perhaps step into that main breadwinner role too. Saab, thank you very, very much. So Saab Johal, psychologist and our parenting commentator today.